Welcome back to Following Noah Dawn, the Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 158, and we're talking about chapters 29 through 32 of You Mean the Nightmare Painter. We split part four right down the middle of the episode, so we've got two chapters in part three and two chapters in part four. Paul, how are you? I'm doing great. This is a super exciting week uh, to talk about, so... Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to getting started. Elliot, I'm doing great. This this was another this was another week though where I was having trouble not reading onward mm. after after having finished my reading and then having to wait for us to do this recording right now before I can read further was uh, was challenging. A little cheeky because we're going to. Uh... We're going to disclose that we, all three of us, have read through chapter 37 for recording of next week before we recorded this week. So there are a couple like glaring questions if you've only read to chapter 32 that we probably won't like spend a super long time on um, because we know the answer to it and we're not going to pretend that we don't. So if you're reading along with us, I would recommend that you read to chapter 37, which is the end of next week's episode. We're not going to explicitly talk about anything in next week's episode, but we're also not going to spend a bunch of time on stuff that we already know the answer to from next episode, if that all makes sense. With that in mind, let's roll intro and talk about Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. This book is getting crazy, gentlemen. This is not where I thought this book was going. We Last week, we stopped with Nicaro's nightmare creeping out of the alley, rushing them. And then right off the bat, we get chapter 29, which is like this huge action sequence. And then we get some more like world implications through 30 and 32. Um. What do you guys think of, of this book uh, up until this point, the end of part three here? Looking back at myself of last week and just laughing at myself, because last week we were all stuck on the cliffhanger that we that we were left on, right? Of the nightmare charging them, what's going to happen? That's like eight on my list of things I <laughs> yeah. feel like we need to talk about right now so much more happens in these follow-on chapters it's like oh my goodness i still don't know that i've processed it yet or i'm excited to talk about you guys about it with you guys because i don't know what i think about it so i need to like explore it with you guys to even figure out what i think about the events of these chapters i almost feel similarly we saw a lot of crazy stuff but I'm like, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like I have, I have thoughts on the different events that happen, but I'm most excited to come and hear what y'all got from it because I know it will probably be different from what I was thinking. And then it just gets really fun from there. When I was listening to chapter 29 for my second time, the, the first time I was kind of just like deer in the headlights trying to take in this this chapter because we didn't, jump back over to Yumi's planet as I thought we might. Um, we continued with the scene all the way until the end of part four. We were still on Nicaro's planet. And we get this chapter from Yumi's perspective, chapter 29. And she's running from this nightmare. The whole scene probably or the whole chapter probably takes place over like 15 minutes. It's this really fast paced, like action sequence, like mistborn throwing knives at each other type action sequence. Have we seen a scene like this in this book yet? Is this our first like actual Brandon Sanderson verbs telling you what's happening scene? 
I think so. I think this is the first, at least major one, at least like action movie scene. Right. Um, it's definitely got to be be the first one that we've seen because I mean the only other time that might be similar is, I think it was chapter seven or the end of part one where nightmare or sorry where painter sees the nightmare, um, going for the kid. But even still, I wouldn't count that as the same as this. Um, it's it's really fun. I love how Brandon Sanderson writes these scenes. Uh, it's the fun part of Mistborn. Honestly, I'm looking forward to going back to Mistborn and, and you know, just that kind of style is, is really fun to read, uh, really engaging. So, yeah, I, I thought it was really cool. And it's definitely a change of pace from, from what we have been seeing in this book. I think we got we got a little bit of an adrenaline rush when Painter and Yumi were sneaking into the, the tent with the the scholars and the the machine but not nearly on this level of 12 foot wolf-like monster is chasing you down back alleys and stabbing people in the chest and throwing playgrounds across the neighborhood like yeah it it ratcheted up to 11 pretty quick there yeah so let's talk about the mechanics of this nightmare so Nightmare finally attacks, and Hoyd actually tells us. Hoyd tells the listener that the Nightmare was biding its time, waiting for an opportunity to attack Yumi, not Nakaro, as I guessed last week. Um, I, I thought that this, uh, that this Nightmare was personal for Nakaro. Um, apparently, it's after Yumi, whether that's personal or not, maybe up for debate i don't know um but it it stabs yumi through the chest with its claws like it grabs her and starts squeezing her and it starts draining the investiture from her is what hoid tells us and that immediately made me i mean i i've drawn this parallel before between nightblood and the nightmares but that the the fact that it that Hoyd says the nightmare was feasting upon Yumi's essence or in Yumi's investiture that immediately made me think okay this is the same mechanic as nightblood and as we do we know is is nightblood anti-investiture have we ever gotten that definition or have we just postulated that after rhythm of war somebody some of our listeners will have to weigh in because I'm sure they they remember some of the details better than us. I've been trying to think about the same thing. Is because this has come up a couple times now. Are are we dealing with anti-investiture or is it all still investiture? Does that differentiation even matter? I, I'm asking the same questions as you. I, I don't have the answers. So I think. I think what you initially were saying is what we thought, Trevor. So I think before Rhythm of War, our was like, is we, we had a couple questions. We had, was Nightblood otherworldly, just totally its own unique thing? Or is it like an, of what we now know as void light? Is it just dark stormlight? Or is it like anti-investiture? There are a lot of questions, right? And I think what we kind of got by the end of Rhythm of War was that it, it is anti-investiture, or that um, Nightblood was anti-investiture. So that's fair. I didn't actually think about that whenever we were listening, when I was listening to these chapters. I didn't, didn't catch that, that it's like consuming yeah. investiture. I feel like there are other more, quote, like, I'm not sure what to make of it. Because in my head, there are other, quote, normal fabrials that, like, consume investiture, like, use investiture to be powered. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that this is still different from how Nightblood functions. But no, I don't know how. That's That's my thought. My understanding is that it's still different, but similar mechanics. That's where my brain was going to if i'm thinking along the same lines as you i have to go back and read this for a third time i i 
I didn't take it as the nightmare is consuming necessarily the investiture, simply taking, simply extracting it from Yumi into itself, which like you said, Paul, we've seen fabrials that can do exactly that, that can, hey, I'm going to stab you with this and suck out all your investiture. That's what I felt was happening here. Whereas with Nightblood, Nightblood seems different. Nightblood is like, I'm destroying or consuming or uh, it seems different. I'm not sure which category the nightmare falls in. The destroy is the key word with Nightblood is that right. very specifically the investiture is getting, is being destroyed as opposed to being transferred. So right. yeah, I'm not sure which is happening with the nightmare, which I, I think is fairly important. Um, it, this is kind of pushing for push you're jumping forward a little bit but in chapter 32 um design has a conversation with yumi about her spirit web and design is like remarking like oh you're like made of pure investiture you you're glowing like a bonfire girl and that makes me think well and then she also makes uh, she also makes the observation that the nightmares should be afraid of her and Yumi and Nikaro are like, well, it's the opposite. They're coming after her. So, yeah, it's really interesting to me the, the what we're being told and what we're not being told yet about investiture and how it reacts on this world. Um, yeah. I hope we get a clearer answer by the end of the book, although I'm not confident we will. Anyway. I've I've got another thought or question for you guys about this nightmare. It it kind of relates to the later chapters for next episode, though. So I don't know if I should get into it now or save it. Let's save it. We we can okay. We can talk. We can circle back to this next episode. Re remind me to to share my my theory about the nightmare with you. That way, I don't forget. Okay. In in risk of skipping over it accidentally, we get quite the redemption scene here for Nicaro. Nicaro pulls out his paintbrush, spirit Nicaro pulls out his paintbrush and paints away this nightmare in to save Yumi's life. And it's, I mean, especially on first read, that on second read, you've got a bunch of different things in your head, but on first read, this is quite the chapter. I I really liked this chapter. I could definitely vividly see it in my head of this torn up playground. Nicaro comes and ends off this nightmare. And it we still haven't killed the nightmare. Uh it's very deliberately pushed off and not but not defeated, I think is the way it's phrased. This for me is going to be one of those classic Brandon Sanderson hero moments that I will, I think, forever associate with this character of Painter, where throughout so much of this book, he has been maligned and put down and called out for his failings in. Well, there's been positive moments too, but but so much of this has been about the faults of Painter. And here's this moment where this absolutely horrifying nightmare has laid waste to two painters, his friends, Akana and Tojin, almost sucked all the life out of Yumi. And who steps in to save the day? It's Nikaro in spirit form facing down this nightmare as his like soul is getting sucked out of him into this nightmare as he's literally disintegrating as a person he summons his spirit paintbrush and on the ground paints he starts with bamboo but then he goes into something else and i i don't think they even tell us what he's painting just that it's a masterpiece yeah and it's like 
it, it's it's the battle of the of the painters. He's doing battle with this terrible nightmare with his paintbrush on the ground. I can, oh man, I can I can imagine this in my in my mind so clearly of him just like dancing around and trying to avoid this creepy, murky nightmare thing as he's you know doing these huge flourishes and painting this massive twelve foot painting on the ground like epic epic hero moment no they do tell us Uh, what he's painting do they they do because he paints a dog because he oh yeah he is he is he's finally realizing he's finally looking at what the the nightmare looks like which is they they describe it as a a lupine figure like a wolf-like form and he paints like a puppy he paints like a, a masterpiece of like a cute little puppy. And that's enough to start affecting and changing the nightmare. And so it runs away. You're right. I, I kind of forgotten about that. So I, I want to add also, Elliot, I think this was a one of a kind scene. What I mean by that is not like this could not be replicated, you know, but First off, just just face value. I think it's super cool the description and like the the image I had in my mind of they're being chased by this nightmare and basically his I don't know superpower for lack of a better term is pulling out this like mystical paintbrush, like an investiture paintbrush and and painting. You know, but but like it was almost reminiscent of it was painting, but it was it had the same style to it as the uh what is it called the kind of like ritual spear routine that kaladin does you know uh with akata yeah not not quite the same but like very stylish i guess um and i was thinking about it this may this may not make that much sense but i was thinking about this as i was reading it i don't think this would hit the same like, like, I don't think this would be as cool of a scene or as impactful if it w- if we had already seen this before. If we had seen, like, oh, that's just, like, how the Dream Watchers fight these big nightmares is they pull up their spirit uh, paintbrush and paint something really big and stuff. This, this almost felt like a big reveal as to how this is how this can be done on this world. And it was like a mic drop moment. Yeah. And I don't think you could have multiple of those in the same story and it carry the same weight um, with, with at least how it is, just how that works. And I just thought that was really cool of how, you know, like we know how painters normally deal with these nightmares, like literally like with a physical ink and paper drawing you know but this was this was like a whole other level and it just made it somehow i'm horrible at drawing and anything artistic like i i have respect for people who can but it's just something in life i don't understand but it was so cool like like this scene i thought was awesome um and i just had so much respect for it and and i yeah all that to say i loved how it was dropped when it was and that this I guess fight style or whatever you want to call it um, hasn't been used too much. Like Brandon capitalized on this moment and kind of cashed that out. And I don't think it could be repeated in the story for the same value. Yeah, I agree. I think it's safe to say that Nicaro would be a light weaver. He's got some, demons in his past that he doesn't like confronting and he's quite the artist does a very good job of um displaying visually so i i just keep thinking could that and the reason why i think think about this is could shallan sketch a nightmare into uh and be a night a nightmare painter in that way and I, I, I would probably say yes. That would be my guess. It, uh, it might depend on what planet she's on. Hmm. Hmm. End of part four. 
we get chapter 30. It's a very short chapter. All the painters rush back to the noodle shop where, um, where design is, and they turn on the TV. They show up to, or the, they turn on the TV and they are live broadcasting the spaceship reaching the star, and they touch down. And there's like what these like four armed alien creature things that kind of just come check out the ship and that's the end of part four so what this was really weird to yeah that's weird to me too this was i understand so so my understanding of the purpose of this is to show that it's not yumi's people right right that it's not yumi's people on the spaceship but but it was weird it was just really weird I thought it was. I actually kind of laughed. I thought it was funny. I, I thought it was weird, as I kept reading, because it, it felt like a strange way to say, "Oh, look, there's aliens on this planet and oceans. Therefore, it can't be Yumi's planet. They're they're not. It's not Yumi's planet." I when I read that, I was like, "Oh, okay, that." I'm not 100% sold there. But then what I'm asked to buy as the real reason where she's from in the next series of chapters is like, wait, that's even harder for me to swallow than the fact that because there's aliens on this other planet, therefore Yumi can't be from there. It was like, oh my goodness. Part part four, the first words of part four, how 31 opens, is a dialogue from Yumi that says, maybe it's time travel. And I laughed when I heard that because of Brandon Sanderson's Q&A for this book that we talked about in what episode two of, of this book, where he again spells out that time travel to the past is not a thing in the Cosmere. We are, we are not going to be time traveling to the past ever in the Cosmere. And then you get to this chapter. Um, or is it? I think it's 32 where design says it's not time travel. Like you're, you're not, you're not time traveling. Trust me. So I, I think it's, I think thought that was pretty funny that Sanderson just put that straight in there to, to dissuade people from going down that path. So, and and I could see where you would go with that without the knowledge that we have, like, if you just picked up this book, that then you might start thinking, "Oh, maybe it is time travel." So I I understand why you put that right at the beginning of chapter thirty one because maybe that is the next spot that you go to in your brain, um, and then he's just going to immediately dispel it. So I do think it was necessary to have that very explicitly in there. It did feel like a voice of Brandon Sanderson saying, "Stop asking me about time travel." It's not possible. Like, yes. Let me put that in the text. It's not possible. And I have to say, I'm really glad it's not possible because if it was, like, we already have too much to wrap our heads around. Imagine adding time travel to the the equation. That would no. It would it would literally go from a lot like too much to handle to infinity. So. Yeah, and and, and as that we said, speaks in... so well to Brandon's creativity. If you think about it, like time travel can sometimes be a bit of a cop out to make your story complex. Brandon can build this incredibly complex world without time travel. It's impressive. Agreed. And yeah, as we said in episode two as well, it just avoids a whole list of problems and disingenuating scenes like if time travel were a thing and then you read chapter 29 and then in the back of your brain you're just thinking well why didn't they just go back in time and beat the nightmare before all this happened you know blah 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 but it when you when you paint the picture of we're deliberately not doing this then chapter 29 has way more weight to it because you know that this is the last shot that Nikaro has to save Yumi um, and does so. So, halfway through this chapter, in chapter thirty-one, Yumi says, "Oh, I've got an idea." 
and then they she doesn't explain herself until like the end of the chapter or something and Nakara is just kind of following around for I don't know 10 15 minutes of audio time just what what's your idea come here come here what's your idea I'll show you come here kind of bothered me but anyone want to talk about Yumi's great idea I I like I got confused at one point I thought I'd missed it I thought she had shared the idea and that I hadn't realized what it was and no she was just stringing painter uh, along the idea though is brilliant like i should have thought of this already as as they were trying to get painter to stack the stones and learn how to do it there was a much better way for them to do that and it's what yumi figures out she can stack spirit stones so what she does is she stacks the spirit stones to give painter a template to follow all painter has to do is grab the real stone and match exactly how yumi stacked it and then he, he's golden he can stack like yumi takes a little bit of practice i'm sure it's still kind of tricky but like that's brilliant and it works too they get a spirit pretty quick i think it's interesting that the We've had this conversation a couple times, but the machine's spirits apparently aren't working great. There's a there's a yeah. villager that they walk past who's having trouble with his little levitating plant machine or something that has been pulled from the machine, and it doesn't work, or it's or it's faulty or whatever. And I'm I read that and I was like, okay, so. Does the machine work or does the machine not work? I mean, we've gone back and forth on this a couple times now, and I thought we got a definitive answer that, yes, the machine does work. It's just slow, but that's that's fine if you have like 100 machines. But now it doesn't work? I I was a little miffed on this one of why we're going back on it again. I don't know. I tied that to what they go into later in the chapter, which is the realization that the machine keeps a part of the spirit soul for itself when it creates those devices. Yeah. I I looked at I looked at that as the reason why the devices are a little bit faulty is because the device itself is not using the entire soul to create them. It's stealing a little bit for itself. And so the resulting device you get is a little finicky. So the machine is not faulty. It's intentionally not creating good devices. Or it's just a unfortunate byproduct of I understand what you're saying. That does this relate at all to like splitting spren in fabrials, in conjoined fabrials? That's where my brain went when the like, you know, in Rhythm of War, when the sibling gets really angry, um, with Navani. Wow, been a while. When when sibling gets really angry with Navani about making fabrials and trapping, um, Spren. I I'm sure that has implications, but I'm really having a hard time drawing conclusive thoughts on this. I don't know. This seemed to be the thing that the spirits don't like okay Th this seems like this seems like the crux of it all for me this is what the spirits are trying to get yumi to save them from is this machine that summons them which that's not a problem but then splits them such that part of their soul goes into the devices but part of it, it keeps for itself for unknown purposes, whether it's that's what it needs to like keep itself powered or for other like more nefarious purposes, as if that's not nefarious enough. I am not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I I have a lot of mixed feelings on this machine and what's been revealed to us and what hasn't. because. I'm almost more confused than anything. I've I've written I'm confused 
like I don't know three times in this out- outline and the next. So that that there's some there's some crazy things, but there's also some information that we're like deliberately not being told about the machine. So that it's just it's just odd. I don't know. Later on in chapter, I think it's thirty four. So next episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about it. But I'm, I, I'm with you. I'm extremely confused by what we see this thing do. Right. And I feel like there's more to it. Yeah. I think even, so we've read through chapter 37. There's not a lot left in the book necessarily after that. But I, I think there's going to be something that might help us answer some of these questions. Because this machine is weird. This the spirits do specifically ask to stop the machine where yeah we're chapter 31 beginning of part four and we finally have our mission statement stop the machine it took us you know 80 percent of the book to to get to the the mission that we are doing so so i have a i have a question about this machine Maybe this was answered later and I totally missed it. If so, then then go ahead and just tell me that and we'll talk about it later. Um you're you're right, we're given this um we're given this very directly from the spirits that this machine is bad. Yeah. Very directly. And I assume I, I'm making assumptions here, I'm assuming that that is the Fabriol that's powering this with my Rochard terms, the Fabriol powering this is capturing Spren, or is it consuming Spren, or do we know how the actual like logic of how this is working, how it's functioning, or by Spren I mean spirits, but mm-hmm. same thing, I guess, question mark? Whatever you want to call it. Because um, I assume that's why, because he's saying, please, like the little quote, it's like, please, freedom, stop the machine. Right, so it's got to be like capturing and imprisoning, but I, I don't know. I I feel like I'm struggling because I feel like, are these machines just capturing all of the spirits that come out? I thought they used these spirits as they came up. I feel like there's a, a missing piece in my mind on this, maybe. And early on, I think I'm missing the same piece that you are as well. I I don't know that that was answered for us in these chapters. But very early on in this book, when Yumi first like got the call from the the spirits that they needed help, she even like in that moment, it's like she just looks at or references somehow the devices they're making, and the spirit specifically says, "No, those aren't the problem." I remember that clearly in the in the beginning. It was, "No, the spirits did not mind." getting turned into devices right it was something else and so i think the something else has to do with this splitting has yeah. to do with this stealing part of the spirit to do something else with yeah i don't i ha- I have more to talk about on the machine but we will save it for next week um chapter 32 though we go back to design and her noodle shop and she looks at Yumi's spirit web. There's a couple specific details that she brings up that are very interesting. Did you guys catch these? I think I at least caught a few. I I was a little distracted by just this Fabrial device in itself. Like as yeah. soon as design pulls it out on the desk and says, all right, Yumi, put your hand on here. It's like, whoa, hold on a second. What is this? She calls it Fabriol. And so I'm like, well, what is it? What is it doing? Does it just, is it just detecting investiture? Is it just letting design see connections? And it seems like more than that. This seems like an extremely advanced Fabriol device thing. I feel like some tech revolution industrial revolution happened on roshar and then a bunch of these fabrials just kind of got smuggled off by the ghost bloods or something to these other planets because a fabrial that can manipulate connection well that is 
or at least observe connection, that seems to imply that it's trying to um what sort of looking for utilize the powers of a bondsmith because we we know that bondsmiths can affect connection like yeah. deliberately and um so and we've seen other fabrials kind of mimic uh other other knights radiant and stuff like that so th mm -hmm. this one seems to be a bondsmith connection fabrial so i'm curious to know if it is from Roshar and what the rules are on it. Yeah. But I mean, this is way more complicated than like a span read right. where, where you've got one pen just mirroring the actions of another. This is like, let me gaze into your soul with my magic scanner box thing. She's got like a VR tablet that she's scanning. You mean MRI? Yeah. She's got like a, an MRI machine in a, box under her bar at the noodle shop because why not i sure we get some uh we get some name drops in this section so references not necessarily name drops design reads yumi's spirit web and then just starts spouting cosmere <laughs> yes she she says she starts going crazy about investiture we get like a little lesson on what investiture is. And then she says things like, wow, you've got so much investiture, more than a returned, almost Elantrian levels. Like, I get one of those references. I don't get the other one of those references. Mm, yes. I'm intrigued. It is. It is. I have to say, it made me kind of excited because I think this is the only time... I remember seeing something that is a direct, like, this has got to be a direct Elantris nod. Mm -hmm. Right. That, oh, you resemble an Elantrian, you know? And so I was like, okay, now we need to need to read Elantris, um, which which got me excited. But you're right, this is, this is kind of crazy. I would love to see this device elsewhere in the Cosmere. I want to start oh, checking yeah. people out and seeing <laughs> how strong they are. I guess how how um how invested people are. Uh, we could finally here, Teravangian. Put your hand on this for me and yeah. see what happens. We could finally prove it. Well, never mind. That's sad. I was gonna say we could prove or disprove <laughs> Trevor's TN theory, but I don't know if we can. I don't know how that works. So, um, anyways, I. I you you know what this box would tell us if we took it to Roshar? It would tell us that Shalon is light song. It's true. You're right. That's why that's why this box has been hidden from us for so long. Yep. So we still don't know about the timeline of this, right? Of this book, where it is in the timeline. I I mean we know on this planet it is like modern day. Right. I but I assume it's after Stormlight Five. I, I think that's a fairly easy um, assumption to make, simply because design says I've only been alive for a few years, or sorry, she says I've only had eyes for a few years, and even I can see straight through you, Nicaro. That's when Nicaro is being all uh, coy about his feelings for Yumi, um, and we know that she becomes bonded with. What's his face, Hoyd, at the end of Oathbringer, and then, um, you know, Rhythm of War is a year after Oathbringer. Presumably, Stormlight Five is right after Rhythm of War. Uh, you know that we've got our ten days timeline and all that fun stuff. So I, I assume that this is after Stormlight Five. I, I have a theory on exactly this, but it's based on some hints from later chapters. Mm. So, so chalk me up for yet again another theory to bring out next episode. We've got all the teasers for next week in this in this episode. Uh, I apologize. Design mentions that Yumi has had her memory tampered with or altered. What what's the word she uses? I don't remember what the word she uses is, but it's 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 like removed or deleted. Yeah, removed maybe. Um, 
she'd use the word delete. She's a she's a numbers girl. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm curious what that means, and that there's a lot of implications there on who did that and what and why and yeah, I don't I don't know what to think there. I was I was very confused by that or intrigued by that. And then we kept reading and we got some sort of not answers that make me so much more confused. Mm. So I think we'll have to dissect that in our next episode a little bit. But I was th- this caught me off guard. Like deleting people's memories was not on my radar of plot devices we were going to run into on this planet. Yeah. I agree. This this kind of this confused me as well. And I I'm not sure what to make of it because if it's yeah, if it's happening to Yumi then likely this has happened to others. And so it just makes me really curious about how deep this is going to go. Is all of her planet just kind of like a brainwashed memory wiped world? Mm quote world that's like hidden in a closet somewhere you know like uh, who knows by who knows you know I mean I know of course I just predicted it but <laughs> um, but you know just the ambiguous uh, rhetorical question who knows you know yeah, uh, design mentions that she's got connections to the other Yokihijo even though Yumi says she's never met them or only met one of them, or something like that. And uh, she says, oh, you know, they're, they're that direction somewhere. And so then Yumi just starts running that direction. They get to the Shroud, and Yumi starts stacking, and the Shroud responds to the stacking, which makes me think even more that this is anti-investiture as opposed to investiture. Because it it specifically repels the shroud and it begins to like churn and bubble or is what it says. And then it, it peels back and peels back until it reveals a frozen woman dressed as a Yoki Hijo with her hand outstressed like mid-scream. And we don't get to like brew on that at all because then it closes right back up we didn't get to know is this woman alive is this woman like breathing is you know we just get a very brief description shroud closes back up and then they are like what was that and then the chapter ends so i don't (laughs) I, i apologize on the chapter split here that we have to talk about this and not the the future chapters here, but I don't know. Well, what do you guys think? It is a bit funny that that we don't, you know, that it split here. And I guess that's kind of a byproduct of of how we're doing this, you know, or just you know inevitable at some point. Uh, but I mean, as far as what's going on here, it is enough to still make you think, make you ask a lot of questions, um, and things like that. Since we are nearing the end of the book. It's one of those where you have, at least you hope to have, a little more faith that these questions will be answered soon. Um, I'm, I think I'm still stuck on the whole, why do the stacks of rocks even react with investiture at all? Yeah. We We were so sure with our... Rosharian knowledge that it had nothing to do with the rocks and it was the art of creation that drew our friend spirit things it it seems pretty clear by now that that's not true that it truly is stacked rocks and not artwork or not paint or other forms of art just rocks stacked or stuff stacked that draws spirits and repels the shroud like why i why why did virtuosity care so much about stacking stuff i think no i think that's exactly it 
I think it might be a virtuosity personal preference. She just likes stacks. Yeah, I think she like doesn't like rock music and likes rock stacks and doesn't care for paintings and really enjoys, you know, claymation art. Like if you, <laughs> you, you've got you've got your preferences. And so when Virtuosity splinters herself, some art is going to be more effective against the investiture than others. I think it might just be that simple. That. I'm really glad you mentioned that, Trevor. So I've never considered the like normal person version of like just interests, right? Preferences, taste, right. like, yeah, I don't like hip hop music. I like 1930s jazz music, you know, like just, I don't know, like stuff like that. And how, how something like random, like stacked rocks would be like, it's like bird watching, you know, like you bring an aviary here and maybe, maybe the whole world goes crazy, right. you know, cause they loved bird watching. I don't know. Like that's such a hilarious and hilarious topic. And maybe like there's some secret, art form that they haven't discovered yet that virtuosity is really into like short, short, short form poetry. What if you just started writing poems next to the shroud and all of a sudden that was really effective, you know? And we, we did get those hints in the very beginning about like the Fibonacci sequence mm. and the, the golden rule of beauty and all of that, how you can take beauty in some senses and boil it down to an equation. And I almost, I almost wonder if that is what's at play here is somehow virtuosity is, is not just into art. They're into art plus the science of it all as well. Maybe. Cybernetics. It still doesn't quite fully connect for me. Yeah, or yeah, things like that where it's it's like the combination of physics and beauty and creation, not just beauty itself, but the the full picture of it's beautiful because it challenges the laws of physics, but yet aligns with them. Wonder if. Uh... Magnets, virtuosity would be interested in magnets, maybe. And then I think that Yoki Hiko. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, Elliot. I I just have the, when you mentioned magnets, Trevor. I just had the perfect, like real world thing that we have that virtuosity would just love. You know those like I think they were called like I don't know. I've seen them called all sorts of different things. They like, called like rattlesnake eggs or something they were like little metal rock magnets have y'all seen these oh and they like like rock magnets you throw them together and they go like or whatever they like yeah around and magnetize and stuff anyways just think about those just all those magnetic rock things um i think that's the sweet spot right there virtuosity that was definitely the favorite childhood toy Mm, there you know those magnetic rocks. Anyways, sorry. That was that was unimportant. But if uh next time I'm getting virtuosity a, a party favor, I'll make sure I pick up some <laughs> of those magnet yes. toys. Perfect. Virtuosity probably like Rubik's Cubes too. Maybe. Maybe. Probably. I don't know. That's a stretch. Stacked Rubik's Maybe if there's cubes like... on other Rubik's Cubes. Oh. Those there people who make With the like, art out of Rubik's cubes. Yep, have you, you seen go. that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. This is a great tangent that we're on, by the way. I love this. It is fantastic. This is one of my favorites. I have to admit. The the Yoki Hijo though, that comes out of the shroud or gets revealed by the shroud. I am. I don't know how to take that. That's one of those things where it's like, I don't even know what to think about what that means is is it like there was a person there at one time and they got like mount vesuvius style encased in the shroud and it's just like a figure there or is it there's an actual being like one of the yoki hijos actually is like actively trying to get to yumi and 
is reaching out of the the shroud or is it because yumi's there and because yumi is wanting to try to connect to a yokihijo that just the being the nightmare if you will takes the shape of what yumi is trying to perceive in that moment that almost seems like the most logical explanation to me because so much of this has been about perception and what you what you expect something to look like or what you expect to be able to interact with if if yumi is expecting to make contact with a yoki hijo because she's chasing this connection line that design has showed her by the way design comes like shuffling out of her noodle shop down to the edge of the shroud to watch all this which i thought was random but yeah i'm not quite sure what to do with this i i'm probably and i think it's deliberate that we don't get a super long explanation of is this an actual person or is this just a a vision of pigment or or whatever um i i'm also leading towards the the shroud is showing yumi what she wants to see i don't think there's an actual person there yeah. or or maybe there is and uh, elliot back to the the first thing you said of virtuosity splinters herself shadows falling from the sky back that we heard whatever in chapter seven or no, it was earlier mm-hmm. than that, chapter one or so. Um, but whenever the catastrophic event happened, pe- some people just got consumed by the shroud and never made it out. Um, maybe, yeah, may- maybe that is the case. But then, you know, that was 1700 years ago. Then you are pointing more towards time travel, which we do bring up here, but we also shut it down as well. So I, I don't know. Well, We'll get into this more next episode. Time travel is not happening, but the perception or illusion of it could be. Hmm. True. Okay. The we we could be creating the illusion of a time many, 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 many years ago, even though we're not physically actually there. Anything else for this week, gentlemen? I I think I'm confused enough. We better get into the next chapters. We yes. I couldn't could not have said it better myself. Let us uh, draw the veil back and actually get to talk about what we are deliberately not talking about this week and reconvene next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. See you in a bit. Peace. <laughs>